There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu, joined once again by Alex Wong. Alex, um... A lot has changed since the last time we did an episode together. Do you remember the last episode we did? Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, Will, thanks for having me on. February 22nd, I went back and checked, was when we recorded. Uh, the Raptors, I believe, had just either hit 500 or gone above 500 for the first time all season. And we were very optimistic about this team's push to a top four seed. And since the last time we talked, the Raptors have won one single game. <laughs> And because of health and safety oh, protocols, no. no, no, you don't even understand. Because of health and safety protocols, Nick Nurse has not won a game since we last talked. Yeah, no, this is a, it's real dark. Um, I went back and I wanted to um, listen through the episode because it was a really joyous episode. You know, I remember specifically bringing you on because we wanted to celebrate good times. The Raptors were 14 and seven after starting out two and eight. They had beaten some pretty good teams, uh, the Bucks, Sixers, the Heat, the Pacers. You know, I mean, a lot of these teams are 500 now, but like still at the time, the Nets, you know, like some really nice wins. Uh, and we were really feeling ourselves, but I really couldn't bring myself to listen to it. I was like, you know, as I told you on Run It Back uh, just like five minutes ago, I was listening to Coldplay last night and uh, <laughs> trying to get in my feelings, <laughs> anticipating a divorce with Kyle Lowry. And we'll get to divorce too. Um, that's, that's one of the topics on this list. Is how to cope with divorce. But, all right, uh, <laughs> all right. Is this why? Is this why for the first time you didn't send me an outline? This is an ambush. All right, keep keep going. Yeah, this is why uh, V wasn't necessarily the first pick here. Um, no, but I had to, I did go through the topic list for that podcast and the topics for that episode. Remember February twenty second, which was the last happy episode. Were are the Raptors legit or are they just on a hot streak? Confidence check on Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet emerging as a franchise cornerstone. Chris Boucher's case for six-man, Norman Powell's continued dominance. To be honest, some of those things still kind of, like, apply. But, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. No one could have seen, like, this absolute downturn, which is further proof that, honestly, man, this whole season is fake. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, I, I do think a large part of this season is fake. And, you know, as we continue to just regurgitate, um, every point that we just made on Run It Back, uh, please watch it again, um, you know, just for the sound quality and the virtual backgrounds. You know, I do think we need to separate a little bit of, you know, just dealing with the reality of it, right? Like there are clear flaws on this Raptor roster and there are clearly decisions that are going to be made this week regarding the future of Kyle and Norm. And none of those things would change even if the Raptors were playing in a normal world at Scotiabank Arena. Now, did the health and safety protocols set this team back just as they were making a push? Uh, for sure. But, you know, I think the other way to look at it for some people is that maybe this is a blessing in disguise that, you know, these flaws needed to be exposed and they couldn't hide behind the fact that, you know, they do have still this like group from the championship team that that could still play against anyone. 
and that it's good to address those problems now, uh, including having to find seven bench guys for next season. Because <sighs> I believe Chris Boucher is moving into the starting lineup at some point, given the roster reconfiguration. And once you move Chris Boucher into the starting lineup, the Raptors literally don't have one single bench guy left. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, you know, I, as I as I said like sixteen times on the last episode where the Raptors lost, um, I for, I don't even know who they lost to anymore. Oh, uh, Houston, right? The twenty game losing streak snapped. Um, yeah. I just I would really like to see bench players who can score six points or more. Like it's just it's been a real struggle to see this roster. And maybe we could have seen it coming from that perspective because. You know, these were not necessarily very accomplished players, but I think we kind of got really used to like the Raptors as a program being Spurs like, you know, we obviously made that comparison many times. And the idea of that is just like when you're the Spurs, you can just bring in like, you know, Matt Bonner and Patty Mills and, um, you know, uh, Rasha Nostarevich and all these other guys. And like, they'll just like continue to win because they have this sort of like institutional knowledge, this sort of structure. And I, I think the Raptors did have that too, but then that structure was completely rocked. And maybe that's just like the takeaway from this whole pandemic is just like you could really plan for a lot of things, but um, you know, a lot just circumstances will probably get in the way, and you know, people aren't probably going to react the way you would expect them to. But you know what? The situation is what it is. Raptors are nine games under five hundred. They're on a nine-game losing streak, and they are pretty much having a fire sale. So this is uh, we're recording this on Wednesday around noon. So if any Woj bombs uh, drop, then um, we'll probably give you a live reaction to it. But in the meantime, seems like uh, the two Raptors who were kind of keep keeping this team afloat <laughs> during the, uh, the the pandemic stretch, uh, Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell, they're both on the trading block. Um, which, by the way, in looking back, maybe that was a really good showcase. Maybe people were looking at Kyle Lowry having like you know twenty assists against the Celtics and thinking, damn, if you can do this with, you know, uh, this current roster throwing like five assists to like Aaron Baines, then maybe we should get Kyle Lowry throwing assists to uh, Bam Adebayo or um, Joel Embiid. Yeah, damn, man. You sound down bad, first of all. Um, I am I down was, bad, man. Yeah. Yo, listen, I'm 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 not as experienced in life as you are, okay? Like, I haven't seen this much. <laughs> I haven't seen this much loss in, in quite some time. Yeah, like I told you last night, this is just a minor inconvenience for me. Um, no, uh, you know, I think it, all signs are pointing to that, um, you know, it looks like Norm is definitely going to be moved based on the latest reporting. Obviously, all of this changes. And it looks like that the Raptors are going to explore every single opportunity to see if there's a package that makes sense to them for Kyle. And I think you you did good, do a good call out. You know, I do think... I mean, these teams, and I think we're zeroing in on Miami and Philly here, they know they know what kind of game-changing um, impact Kyle has. You know, I don't think they needed to see it, you know, with Kyle playing against a lot of these, playing with, you know, kind of the, the D-League squad of the Raptors. But I think it was a great showcase for Norm. And, you know, you know the Raptors fan base, and I know you yourself, we have broken down, like, the strengths and flaws of Norm. And even though the scoring has obviously ticked up you know, the strengths and the flaws are still the same, right? I don't know if you agree with me on that. Um, I think he's been the same type of player who does similar types of things. He's just gotten really good at it, you know? He's like a... Norm's like a, a DH, like a... He's he's like a, a basketball DH. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good way to put it. And, and I think the Raptors have... I, th- I just think it's tough for the Raptors. Like, I, I know Masai... 
has been known, obviously, to pull a few surprises out of the bag. But if you're looking at the offers right now from Philly and Miami, like they're just not that appealing. And I understand versus letting Kyle walk at the end of the year, um, you do want to recoup some assets. But but man, those those packages are looking tough. And you know when you're talking about like a Duncan Robinson, and you factor in that you probably have to re-sign him for I don't know 15 million a year or more, then it's like. At that point, if you're making that commitment, then why don't you just bring Norm back? Yeah, I I, I can see that argument for sure. Um, and I don't think necessarily the Raptors need to move both these guys. But I do think that if the return is right, I think the so the situation for the Raptors is that they just have this dearth of talent on the roster. And so they need to get kind of as many pieces back uh, as possible. And, you know you look at the bench and it's just not a lot of like even drafted talent. I know we're like so high on undrafted players, you know, you get Fred, you get Chris Boucher. Um, and these are great success stories, but like seven, seven undrafted players on the Raptors. And as much as you can overcome the odds, making it a rule or making it an overall policy to overcome the odds is difficult. Like I really would like to see some talent and that's not to say first round picks or whatever are guaranteed. Like, you know, success stories, right? Like the highest picked player in the Raptors right now is Stanley Johnson. And before that, it was Alex Len, who was picked like fourth. <laughs> Yo, can so, you give a good stat? Yo, why are all these stats so sad? <laughs> Alex, we're trying to demonstrate range, man. We can't just be here for the good times, man. Got to be here for uh, for this shit too. So um, I, I think that's where you're looking at. And I think that's where if you can get multiple pieces, you're not even looking at it as a one for one. If you're look, If you're trying to trade Kyle Lowry, you're probably trying to get multiple pieces. No one coming back from Kyle is going to be as good as Kyle. It's going to be as productive as Kyle. But if you can get like three pieces from Miami for Kyle, and if you can get like two pieces for Norm, then all of a sudden you have at least restocked somewhat uh, of the cupboard. Because, you know, as I mentioned in previous episodes, like it's not necessarily about this specific core. Because I do think the Raptors want to add to this core, right? Which you look at the timeline, it's Pascal, it's OG, it's Fred, maybe Norm. Um, it's really about the next core. Who is in that next core, right? When, when the Raptors used to have DeMar and, and and Kyle and JV and Serge, and, you know, they used to win games. Um, <laughs> you know, they had, like, all these prospects on the bench ready to go, and that was the next core. So what is the next core behind some of these guys currently? You kind of have Alakai. Like, I think he's going to get there. Although I do think that having seen him play a few times, struggles to get a shot off. He's a little bit small. Um, you know, I think he's going to have to get really good at taking difficult shots as most small guards need to. So he's going to be more of a developmental project than I think initially anticipated when he was drafted as a senior coming out of, um, or he he played like four years uh, with a red shirt season in between um, coming out of college. But you just need more guys because like, is there anybody else? Like, like let's say the Raptors tank the rest of the season. Who are you trying to give minutes to, to like see if there's something there? And when you think about that question, it's not great. You know what I mean? Like, is there someone else besides maybe Malachi that really intrigues you off the bench? No, there's not. And I think you've made this point, you know, on a lot of your podcasts. You know, I I know you, I don't think it's even a joke when you say like how many guys 
can score six points off the bench. And I know you've been missing guys like Alan Anderson from like the, the 2012 Raptors. Yeah, I, I wasn't but... serious about that, but he, he, he can <laughs> no, score six points on eight shots for sure. No, but like you're, you're completely right. And you look at the way Nick has managed his roster, like put it this way, man, their season, like whatever you want to say, their season was on the line in Cleveland. Cause they really needed to snap the win streak, the losing streak and get going. When the season was on the line, Nick looked at his bench and said, Let's do the break in case of emergency backcourt of Pat McCaw and Stanley Johnson. Like that is just not good enough. And that's just not acceptable with the way that the roster has been constructed. So no, to answer your question, you're definitely right. And, you know, I'm with you. Listen, I, I do think, you know, what they can get for Kyle and Norm this week will be really important to just start replenishing the roster And I'm looking ahead to the summer as well when the Raptors have cap room. And, you know, if you had money that you were, you know, saving to to pay Norm and Kyle, if you redistribute that, whatever it is, you know, 30 million that you have to use, like you could use that to just fill out this group. Like you don't need to go out there and sign that one big free agent, which was supposed to be Giannis, who's now off the board. Like you need to nail those like five million, seven million dollar signings. Mm-hmm. Like yep. for me, it's like I'm not saying that the core of Fred, OG, and Pascal can win you a championship, but if you put the right pieces around them, then the Raptors are back exactly where they were at the start of this era, in my opinion. It is yep. that you have a very solid team that you know is gonna be playoff bound if they're healthy, and they will be a move or two away from getting to that next step meanwhile developing players and i think you make a really good point too about the undrafted stuff and the spurs listen the undrafted stuff is a great story and i don't think it takes away from a lot of these guys that the raptors uh, scouting teams have found but that can't be the foundation of building your team that is like a supplementary thing right that's why you have Kawhi leonard and kyle lowry and all of these other players on top of it so whatever position they end up with um, in the draft lottery like even if they end up with say like a 10th overall pick knowing what the raptors can do with like a 30th overall pick or a 50th overall pick like i feel pretty good if they even get like a 10th overall pick that they're gonna be able to find someone who isn't gonna be like a game-changing guy but like you said i feel like they just need like a six man seven man eighth man right now and maybe an extra starter uh, and that's why I don't feel as bleak about this as, as everyone else. It's a new era. It's tough to handle the end of Kyle for sure. But I, I honestly don't feel like it's the end of the world here. And the Raptors are heading for like five years of darkness. Yeah, see, this is um, this is why we bring you on for this, uh, you know, the veteran presence, so to speak. Because you, you, you're offering perspective into this whole thing. And I, I do agree with you. Like, I think that is the best case scenario. Like, you kind of right the ship and you avoid that like prolonged tanking i think the best case scenario would be that one year of tanking you take this hit obviously a lot of circumstances went into this hit but maybe you can kind of bounce back from it and then you kind of avoid you know what you don't want to see is like a minnesota situation where you're picking in the draft every single year or like your new york Knicks situation or like a sacramento situation like you want to get right back into the mix and i do think that you know if you do make a really good signing in the offseason um, I think it'll help. I mean, in terms of the position that I think the Raptors need the most, it's pretty obvious. They need a center. They need a center really badly, and they could find a young center to fit with this core. I mean, there are some players available that I think would be interesting, and I've I mentioned them in the past, but 
all three of these guys were restricted free agents. You got John Collins, who I don't really think can play center, but offensively, definitely skilled enough to play center. Um, Laurie Markkinen, maybe some kind of similar concerns, although as a stretch five, I could really see it. Um, and Jared Allen, who, you know, Chris Haynes of Yahoo um, said the Raptors are reportedly interested in him in free agency coming this summer. And, and honestly, they can get like a nice center to pair with this younger group uh, because of the cap room created from, um, you know, Kyle and uh, Norm no longer being factors as free agents of the Raptors. Like that isn't the worst case situation. But I, I think that there might be another concern, which is just like the top end talent for this group. Like is the top end talent good enough to be at like a home court advantage level um, team in, in the regular season and then to win a few rounds that I'm still not totally sure about because I think Fred has improved a lot, but still has some limitations. I don't think he's ready to be your number one guy. Um, and I don't think Pascal has shown he's ready to be a number one guy. I think last year he had stretches, but I think his confidence is not looked the same um, since pretty much the bubble. And, you know, we have to see what you get from him, but let, let's talk about the actual trades themselves. So let's start with Kyle. So it seems like the two teams mainly in it are Miami and Philly. And Woj did mention other teams are interested, but that's kind of like fringe kind of things. Sort of like, okay, if both of them kind of walk out, maybe you have a third option. But I think the the idea is sort of pitting these two teams against each other um, and creating a market. And I think when you have two bidders, uh, both who have interesting prospects, then you're kinda, you're in a pretty good position. And really, I just wanted to start with like, first off, how intense do you think a negotiation is between Masai Ujiri Daryl Morey and Pat Riley. That three-way like uh, WhatsApp group must be intense at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Masai's trying to get WhatsApp on BlackBerry, on his BlackBerry <laughs> Bold 9900, and it's not working. Um, you know, I, oh. I want Masai to make this as difficult as possible for both of these guys. You know, I respect the other two GMs uh, a lot, obviously. But you remember, didn't Daryl post something about regression about the Raptors a few years ago? Mm. And, and there was that, a yeah. bit, and, and I think Masai actually like issued a statement via the reporters, basically telling uh, Daryl in so many words to just mind his own business. Um, so I want Masai to be doing things like making Pat Riley have to like drive to a store in South Beach to like get a SIM card for a BlackBerry uh, that they only want to talk uh, on there, and like make Daryl have to like send his trade offers via a Nintendo DS uh, to to Masai's uh, LG refrigerator. Like if you're gonna want to get Kyle, you have to do this. And I hope Masai told uh, Lawrence Frank to like, you know, fax me, uh, fax me your trade proposal from the trade machine, um, and I'll take a look at it on Friday. Um, so I hope it's miserable for everyone because you don't want to make it easy when you when you're giving up the greatest Raptor of all time. But yeah, I think to your point, I think we know who these guys are offering, right? Like I think the Raptors are asking mm-hmm. for Maxi from the Sixers. Um, obviously with other things to make the salaries work. Shout outs Danny Green coming back to get his ring. Um and, oh, man. and then now we're sending that ring um, <laughs> as a part of the three way deal. <laughs> and then Danny's on Miami not Toronto or Tampa. <laughs> and then on Miami, I'm sorry. Like I get like Goran Dragic, Kelly Olinick have to make the salaries work, but I'm not interested in Kendrick Nunn um for all the reasons. Nope. And yeah. I'm not that interested in Duncan Robinson only because I know you're gonna have to pay him. And um Tyler Hero, I'm actually interested in. And I know there's a lot of people who are like, you know, he's not that great. And I get it. But he's also 21. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people in the Raptors fan base look at their own prospects differently than they look at other teams. 
um, you know, we give such a benefit of the doubt to a lot of guys that the Raptors develop. You know, why why can't we look at it as a way of that? If you see the flaws in Tyler Hero's game, but you believe in the Raptors' developmental program, bring Tyler Hero here and let's see what kind of player he wants to become. And he is exactly the type of piece that you're talking about. The Raptors need to replenish their roster. He's not going to lift this franchise suddenly to a championship level, but we also need to move off that conversation at this point. Yeah, listen, um, I, I I agree with you. I think people are kind of, um, I don't know, man. I think people roast Tyler Hero for reasons that don't really necessarily have to do specifically with his game, which is whatever, man. That's that's part of being in the public spotlight or whatever. But I don't think that you can confuse that with his abilities as a basketball player. I think there's a reason why the Raptors are reportedly pushing so hard for Tyler is they have eyes. Like, did you watch last year's playoffs? And I know, like, whatever, man, one good playoff run isn't anything, but for a 20-year-old rookie to score double digits in every single game, except for the last game of this whole, like, uh, bubble season where they the, the Heat finally lost to the, the Lakers in the six games, Tyler Hero scored double digits in literally every game, except for that last game where he scored seven. This includes against the Celtics, okay? We all saw how hard it was for the Raptors to score against the Celtics. Tyler Hero against the Celtics, 19.2 points per game in that series on 52% shooting with six rebounds and five assists in 35 minutes per game. And don't forget, like, he had that 37-point performance against the Celtics, which, again, I have to remind people, do you you remember when the Raptors played that exact same Celtics team and how much trouble they had scoring the ball? Like, that's, that's part of the reason why you would be intrigued with a guy like this. And I think that, you know, there are concerns, I think, from buying players from the Heat because... For me, I do worry about taking them out of that system. The Heat do not play like the rest of the NBA. Um, you know, they have a lot of screening. They have a lot of ball movement. They have a lot of, like, really functional bigs who really like to work dribble handoffs and things like that. And I don't really see that happening with the Raptors. I think the level of screening, that's like, this is so granular, but the Raptors' level of screening is so far below what the Heat do. And I think screening is super important to, obviously, shooters getting open. And I think that's why you're you're able to see the Heat produce guys like Hero and and Robinson and stuff like that. Whereas we can't even find Matt Thomas one open shot in like ten minutes. Um, but at the same time, like I do think Tyler has real skills and abilities, and I would be pretty happy if if that's one of the core pieces coming back. But I, I think the good part is if you look at the negotiations overall, is that because there are these two teams who are both looking to add, because they're both looking to contend this year. Um, I, I do think that it is a good possibility that Masai finds himself able to extract maximum value from this. And I, what I mean by that is I don't think it's, I, I don't think heroes off the table. I think when it comes push to shove tomorrow at like two, two thirty PM, uh, 30 minutes before the trade deadline, I think hero will be on the table. I think, you know, precious Achua, who was the first round pick for the, the heat this year. I think he'll be on the table. I would really like to get a big um, in this deal. Uh, these expiring contracts, I think, I think they'll be on the table, obviously, because they're part of the deal to make it happen. But I do think that, okay, the Raptors might not necessarily need like a Kelly Olenek, a Goran Dragic, but can another team use them? And if so, can the Raptors flip them for different picks? The Heat might not necessarily offer uh, draft picks because their their picks are mostly tied up for the foreseeable future. But can the Raptors flip uh, a Goran Dragic into a protected first, a Kelly Olenek into protected first. That's probably a little optimistic, but it's possible. And I think on the other side, the same applies with Philly. Like, you know, listen, I know Philly's like, oh, I don't know if we want to give up Tyrese Maxey. You're giving up Tyrese Maxey. You're giving up Matisse Thibel, who 
you know, as good as he is defensively, again, that's another guy who struggles to score six points. Um, And you're giving up like expirings and, you know, whatever. And you're giving up Danny Green and you're probably flipping Danny Green for picks. So whatever happens, if the trade fully goes through, which at this point I kind of expect, like um, I think the Raptors are getting the full package. And I, and I just, I I would almost be a little bit disappointed if you didn't, just because I know Masai's track record of these trades, man. Like, oh, for sure. And, And I think that's what you have to give Masai credit for is, you know, and I don't know if we'll talk about this, but I feel like some of the free agency signings and especially last summer too has been a, a little bit lacking, you know, from the front office, but he has a mm. great track record in terms of trades. And, you know, I think you make a really good point too about these two teams kind of haggling over a Tyler Hero or a Tyrese Maxi. And I'm not saying they're not talented guys, but you also have to understand what you're getting back. Like Kyle Lowry mm-hmm. will automatically vault for me the Sixers into having more than just like a puncher's chance against Brooklyn in a seven game series and you also have to look at the fact that that might given like Joel Embiid's injury right now and I know they've been playing well without him that might give you a shot to finish with the one seed which is so important I feel like now for those top three teams with Milwaukee Brooklyn and and Philly is that if you get the one seed you pretty much guaranteed only have to having to play one of the other two teams and, exactly. you know, yeah. I think that's a huge incentive for Philly to bring Kyle Lowry. And, like, he's Kyle Lowry's probably perfect for, like, any team. But he's, like, perfect on that team. Just picture him and Simmons out there with Embiid Oh, and that's going to be the most annoying team in the NBA. I already that's feel like most already, yeah. yeah. Like, the, Simmons and Kyle obviously have a history, but they're going to be great together. And, mm. you know, on the other hand, I think with Miami, they have to make a decision and maybe it's a tougher decision for them too, because you know you go all in, you give up Tyler Hero, uh, you probably let Duncan Robinson walk maybe this summer, and you're building around Kyle and Jimmy, who are kind of up there in years along with Bam. So that might be a little tougher. So I think for the two teams, you know, for me, I think Philly's the one that should just get it done. And to me, it's like even if you're giving up Maxi, I don't feel like it's comparative to like Miami giving up Hero, because I just feel like the Sixers no. have Ben Simmons, who are pretty young who's pretty young, like Embiid, I know is always like this walking injury risk, knock mm-hmm. on wood, but like, he's not like up there in age either. You add Kyle, like, man, that's a monster team. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's why, I, that's why all along I thought if the Raptors did make this decision to move Kyle or to move Norm, like they're going to have the biggest player available, right? It's not like all of a sudden Bradley Beal's going to get moved, right? It's not all of a sudden like, you know, like Victor Oladipo has really fallen off. So I don't really think he's a huge trade piece necessarily as much as his like former all-star status would suggest. And these are two teams who badly need him and they need him not just now, but they need his bird rights to sort of acquire him for the future. And so um, I expect maximum value and we'll see who the Raptors get back Um, between the two trade packages. Is there one that you prefer? I think for me, I probably prefer Miami's package. I think those guys score better. Oh, same, same, but but that that assumes that Tyler Hero is in the trade. You know, for 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 me, if He's you're telling me that trade. we're getting, He's be in the trade. If you, I, if you're I, I, I trust Masai. Yeah, no, if you're telling me that we're getting Precious Achua and Tyler Hero, like, come on, man, those two are immediately in the top seven of this roster. Uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like yeah. they're both probably starting. Um, if if you're getting rid of Kyle and Norm, to be honest, um, so and that goes to replenish um just and, and i just want people like i know there's a lot of people that are down on hero and trust me i get it there's no perfect package when you're trading for half a year of Kyle Lowry on the market 
But just imagine, like, you know, a lot of people have been obviously talking about tanking and wanting the lottery pick. I mean, if you want, like, a seventh overall pick, why wouldn't, wouldn't you want Tyler Hero? You're essentially getting a lottery pick. Mm. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I again, I just think that people kind of get down because they look at the overall numbers, and, and that's fine. Like, I, I think Hero hasn't necessarily been... Um, maybe as efficient as he was last season, his three point percentage, you know, as a rookie was 39% this year, it's 31%. Um, you know, obviously the bubble was really exciting, but he hasn't really made that a standard for his game moving forward, but yeah, but he's in his second year. He's on his rookie deal. This is like if another team was trading for OG or Pascal or Fred in their second year versus now. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think if you were the Raptors, for example, if you were in Miami's position, I, I don't know necessarily you give him up. Like, it would be really, really difficult. But again, this is where having Masai as your expert negotiator really helps. Um, in terms of Norman Powell trade rumors, so this one is a little bit harder to nail down and think about um, because with Kyle, I think the, the suitors are pretty obvious. It's kind of between Miami and Philly, and those are clearly the two, and you kind of have a really good understanding of what might be coming back if that trade was to be done with norm apparently like a dozen teams are interested and like you got some specifics like brooklyn and new york but it's like pretty much like you know uh, a third of the league 40 percent of the league is interested in norm and that one i think really just comes down to um who can offer the most I, i think that one is probably just like you're looking for a draft pick you're probably looking for a first-round pick, and I think you could get one for Norm. I don't know if it's fully unprotected. People don't really trade unprotected fully picks anymore. But you could probably get a protected first-round pick, and you could probably get um, maybe like a B-tier prospect back. And if that's the case, like you probably do have to think hard about like maybe re-signing Norm is just better because you know that he is a productive player, and he is someone that could fit with this roster and this core. But at the same time, that's if you're looking to rebuild, this might also be the maximum time in terms of getting value for Norm and the way he's played recently. I hate to say this because, like, you know, I'm happy for Norm just as a person that he's pulled off the stretch where he's done so well, but he's having a career year. And I think a lot of teams um, are becoming more interested in him because of that. And therefore, it's making him more likely. Like, he's almost played so well, he's played his way off the team, which is kind of tough. But at the same time, like, are, are you kind of okay with Norm kind of moving on? Or are you kind of more like, hold on, why are we trying to get rid of Norm at this point? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think I'm okay depending on what the Raptors want to do because I think it's pretty clear that they're basically making a decision on Norm's free agency this week because, you know, if they yeah. want to bring him back at the price of whatever it is, 18 to 20 mil a year, which I think the bidding will probably go up to that in the summer – then they have to decide if they're willing to do that. And, it, you know, from all the reporting, I know Woj, Woj's later, latest report basically said that, you know, it's not a matter of whether he will be traded. Uh, it's it's a matter of wh- where Norm will end up. So it sounds like the Raptors front office is leaning towards uh, moving on and realizing that they can allocate that money somewhere else, which honestly, I get, you know, like like we know about Norm's uptick in scoring, but we also know the strengths and weaknesses that he has on both ends of the floor. And, you know, They've already committed, you know, twenty million plus to to a lot of these core guys, and and they don't see Norm as that. I don't think that's a disrespect to him. And I, I mean, I think it's just mm-hmm. where the Raptors are in terms of the team building. And you know, I think you're right. You know, I think I think what Masai and Bobby are going to do is just weigh all these offers, and then just see, you know, how desperate these teams get. 
and then just probably pick from the best offer from their point of view at 3 p.m. tomorrow. Um, and, and then they're just going to go with that. And I think a draft pick and some kind of mid-level prospect probably makes sense. And, and you're right. Like there's so many teams that you'll get like the Knicks, Denver. I mean, we could go on, like, I don't know, Charlotte, like any team could use Norm. I feel like, yeah, like he's just, he's just going to be the score off the bench. Um, that, that I think will be really good on a contending team. Um, I know Brooklyn's been mentioned too. Like, I think Norm would be amazing on Brooklyn just coming off the bench. Come on, man. That's enough. <laughs> just firing. Even though it's not fair. Um, yeah, you know, if Kawhi just stayed, we'd have uh, Andre Drummond, uh, JJ Redick, and Blake Griffin on buyouts right now. But <sighs> God. Yo, by the way, the history of buyouts in Toronto, not good, man, because it's really Jeremy Lin and um, Jason Thompson. Do you have any favorite Jason Thompson as a Raptor moments? Uh, definitely not, but he definitely played a lot more than I think people remember. Yeah, well, I mean, we had Luis Scola as a starting four, so we needed somebody, but he he, he yeah, could Luis not Scola, get Yeah, Luis Scola, conference finalist. Bro, I will take Luis Scola right now, man. I, I know Luis is somewhere <laughs> putting up 20 <laughs> you know, points on, on scoop shots. You know, I, I, I told you on Run It Back the, two weeks ago that the Raptors should call up and sign Amir Johnson and Jared Jack from uh-huh. the G League Ignite team, and you laughed. Those two guys would be in the top eight right now. You think Jared Jack can still get you six points? I'm just, I'm not asking for a lot, man. Six is not a lot. It's really I'm not. I'm literally it's... asking for Amir Johnson to just be able to dribble the ball past midcourt. Oh, God. Yeah, can we just... I think let, he can do that. What What do you think? Do you think Baines will be in the roster after this trade deadline? I don't think he should be. I, I Honestly, and I'm not trying to, like, just pile on him. He um, seems like a really uh, nice dude, and this is why I feel no, bad when I call him He seems like a, a super teacher. nice dude, and I know... Um, him and his wife, they just had a new baby too. You know, I believe they welcomed a yeah. new kid right after they moved to Tampa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this must not be easy for him, you know, no, as, as difficult absolutely. as it is for everyone else. And to add on top of that, I mean, I think he knows that he hasn't played up to his standard. But I think it's one of those situations, you know, where whether you're including him in one of these trade packages um, to just get off his contract, or if you honestly just like outright wave him and see if he wants to find a new team. I just feel like the team needs to move on. I just feel like it just hasn't worked out. And, you know, we're seeing it on the floor. And, and I feel like if the rest of the season is about development or whatever you want to call it, then I don't think we should be allocating minutes to Aaron Baines anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, it's, and I get it because it's roster construction. Like some, sometimes you do need things that he can do in terms of like the physicality on a screen. For example, the second unit. Pretty much all they do in the second unit is everyone else stands around and tries to get Fred open. Like they basically run a Steph Curry offense for 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 Fred or for Kyle. Um, although Kyle does do a little bit more for the passing rather than the scoring itself. But you kind of do need solid screeners to free Fred off ball, for example. And so maybe you need Baines for that. And I think he is good at that. I think you need some physicality in the lane, um, but. I mean, I don't know, man. It's really not worth the other kind of trade-offs that you kind of lose, right? Like, It's absolutely like, not. And, like, you can't be, like, it's hard enough to win games, especially winning games this season. You can't be fighting your own roster. And I feel like the Raptors are fighting their own roster or something. Yo, they're literally fighting their own roster. As in, Pascal Siakam is, you know, <laughs> getting into shouting matches with Nick Nurse. Which, by the way, yeah, so, Ma- Michael Grange had a report on this. There's a lot. More yeah, I, ju- I just read it. I don't know if you read it. Yeah, me too. Wow, look at this. Breaking news on the podcast. This is, this is what happens around trade deadline. You had to be 
in two places at once. Um, but I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, this this is not surprising to me, but at the same time, like it it is something to monitor. Uh, so as we know, there was kind of conflicting reports as to whether or not Pascal got fined for this, but you know, there was clearly an argument between Pascal directed towards nurse. Um, and I'll, I'm going to quote Grange here. Siakam wasn't happy. And according to multiple sources, let nurse know about it loudly and aggressively with words beyond standard cursing. It got personal lines were crossed and teammates had to intervene according to multiple sources. And yeah, the Raptors are not a happy place. Quote, as one source put it, I'm, I'm assuming, honestly, the sources are probably players and coaches. Um, but this is obviously something that is hard to sort of cover up. And this is something where, honestly, if you had beat reporters um, traveling in a non-COVID situation, this story would have been reported like immediately. Of course, now that we're on Zoom, we have no access. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Pascal played the next game and and, and, and the Raptors lost to Houston, whatever. But um, I, I'm not totally sure how much, the, you know, discipline or anything like that will come out of it but basically the 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 crux of the situation is pascal's not that happy he feels like he's sort of been singled out for the raptor struggles this year and i think that um you know this is something that they can kind of go through and kind of uh overcome i mean really i think it's just people are upset because they're losing and things happen and of course it's not okay to have this happen but at the same time i do think it's more of a reflection of like people expecting better rather than like you know, outright pettiness or anything like that. What do you, what do you yeah. make of the situation? Yeah. You know, obviously this is like the second incident that we've heard about this year. Um, cause, cause he was benched for one game earlier in the season. And I do think it's concerning. And listen, man, we obviously have the perspective of just think about everything Pascal has gone through like the last 12 months. And of course, just coming off, um, you know, having to sit because of, because of the health and safety protocols and all of the expectations on him playing in Tampa and all of that. And, you know, I think it was Joseph Kasharo who like pointed this out yesterday, too. It's like these this kind of stuff happens with every NBA team, yeah. whether they're winning or losing. You know, I think people forget because, you know, the championship run was so fun that that was not a good, uh, quote unquote, good Raptors locker room in the first half of that season. You know, mm. Kyle was very upset at mm. Masai for trading DeMar. Nobody knew about Kawhi, you know, really fitting in or not. And I think Nick Nurse talked about it a little bit in his book that it took a few months before, like, I think Kawhi really started to, to he took control in like one of the video sessions um, and really kind of started bonding with the team. So this stuff happens all the time. And I think this just adds to the process of Pascal trying to figure out dealing with the expectations of being paid 30 million and being this number one guy. So um, is, is it concerning? No, I definitely think it is. Um, but, but I also think like sometimes in these situations, we can't just look at it from a player's perspective as well. Uh, we know that Nick is a very demanding coach and yep. we know that Nick has a very short leash and, and maybe he's got kind of more power in a way I feel like than a lot of other coaches, you know, because of the championship and because I think of the way maybe he's been empowered by the front office, you don't see coaches treat a lot of their star players in this way anymore. I think this was more common, like in the nineties, um, you would hear about this a lot more. Um, you know, when I used to read about it in the newspaper, um, but like, I, I, I think, I don't know what any of these <laughs> are. but like we have to consider too, like we know Nick nurse has, a, doesn't have a lot of patience for guys 
in terms of kind of pulling them and benching them and shifting the different rotations and things like that. So you have to come at it from both ways too. We don't know kind of, you know, how hard Nick has been pushing Pascal behind the scenes, whether it's one-on-one or maybe calling him out during video sessions and things of that nature. So I just think there's a lot that goes into it and we have to, we have to consider all of those things. Yeah, I agree. But here's the thing though. I, I do believe that as one of the star players on the team, not even necessarily the leader, right? Because I do think that leadership is not something that is like intrinsic to Pascal's game, the way you could see it with like Fred, for example. But um, as one of the star players in the team, I think you really do need to, um, I don't know, like set an example in a way. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, I, it's like, account, it's like accountability, this. right? It's yeah, like accountability exactly. from from yeah. the top. Like you, if you're if Pascal is going to act like that, like what kind of example? Like you mentioned, like what kind of example does it set for everyone else, right? Yeah, exactly. Which you know, I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Pascal's some sort of malcontent. He's clearly not, but. Um, uh, you know, I think he, as one of the leaders of the team, sometimes when you're losing, you really do have to sort of take the brunt of it, you know, sometimes, you know, and I do think that it's telling that after these like really tough losses or whatever, it's always like Fred coming to talk to the media. It's always Kyle coming to talk to the media. Um, you know, and I think the public face of it, even now in a Zoom era is important. Uh, and, and again, I think it's also just something that these guys can kind of get through. Like, I think that Pascal has always been, you know, this very um, humble player who has worked really hard and, uh, has gotten really far in his talent and things like that. And, you know, uh, I think there's more growth to be had there. And, um, you know, I, I just, it's disappointing, but I think it's also not that surprising in this moment, but I don't think it's something that long-term is going to cripple the franchise or anything like that. Like, I think if you look at um, the the cornerstones of this team, I think Pascal is still a cornerstone. I think obviously Fred's a cornerstone. Nurse is a cornerstone of the team. And as long-term pieces, you know, you you would just hope that they don't clash in such a in such a deep way uh, on an, on a frequent basis, and I don't think that is the situation. I don't even think it's in Pascal's personality, really. Like if you could, you could like when they used to say Kyle used to like get at you know Dwayne Casey or whatever. I'm like, yeah, of course, man, because look at Kyle, like just <laughs> just look look listen, at the way he listen, treats. We all love example. we all love Kyle, but anyone who's been close to the team or like cover the team, we know Kyle's been a pain in the ass to the coach. Yeah, absolutely. And he's and worth I know it too. Grange, he's I know Grange it. shared some. I think Grange shared some stories too, um, you know, about a practice uh, that 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 Kyle interrupted, you know, during during the Dwayne Casey era. And like we've all heard these stories, and it's like I, I still think like I'm not trying to defend Pascal, but it's like it is kind of embarrassing when you're you're benched, right? And I think when he was when yeah. he didn't play, Bro, he was not, no, no, not hold on, not just benched. Yeah. He got benched for Pat McCaw and Stanley Johnson. That's what I'm saying. It's like. I think at the time when we saw that in the fourth quarter against Cleveland, all of us were just like, this is a conditioning thing because he's coming back. Um, from, sure. That's from what Nick said too. Protocols, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know if there was a better way to do it. You know, I think if, if you're being benched for Pat McCon, Stanley Johnson, like, you know, from Nick's point of view, like maybe you can send that message a different way. Like let pass if Pascal was able to play, even though you were not happy with the way that he was playing for whatever your reasons were, let him just play through the fourth quarter. I mean, like, what's there to lose? It wasn't like it was a game seven playoff game. And he let Pascal play through everything last year against Boston when everyone was like, maybe Pascal should sit by the end of the series. Yo, honestly, was... I was I was dying for Ronde. I was like, maybe Ronde could come in. But you remember, right? Like at the end of game yeah. seven, we all remember that meme of Serge clapping on the bench yeah. um, and then putting his head down because they were still going to Pascal. 
um, on isolations, you know, late in the fourth quarter. So if you're going to let you either got to make a decision on either you're going to let this guy play through it. And if you're not happy with his effort, you know, in Cleveland, let him play through it. So it doesn't become a public thing. And then just talk to him about it. Like, I think Pascal has earned the right, at least past the point of like Nick having to make a point. If that's what he was trying to do with the benching. I don't think he was trying to make a point outright. I, it's it's weird to try to make a point at a guy coming right back from COVID and things like that. Um, you know, but you know, at the I same think time, Nick's, though, I think Nick is just a really competitive dude as well. I think and so too. Yeah. Listen, he's a great coach, but and I don't think this is even a criticism, but I don't think he's used to losing. And I think hmm. it's really different when you're coaching a losing team, yeah. right? Like like he's so frustrated with the roster that his emergency lineup is McCaw and Stanley Johnson. And it's like, that has to be like killing him on the inside. But at the same time for the rest of the season, whatever the roster looks like after the deadline, I just want Nick to pick his eight guys and just let them make all their mistakes. Like just pick your eight guys. Cause like, mm. like, like you, you, I don't know what's the, what's the analogy you always use. Like he's just like playing with a, Two seven offsuit every night. Yo, he's playing with two seven offsuit, man. Every game. He's playing with every two hand. seven offsuit, but like, but like Stanley is a two seven offsuit. You know, DeAndre Bembry might be a pocket four on some nights. You know, Utah <laughs> no. Watanabe could be like a six seven suited. It's like <laughs> you just gotta go with your one hand and just play it out. Because he keeps trying to find these different combinations. And it's like, no, if you think Paul Watson is the guy to come off the bench as like your seventh guy or eighth guy. Then just stick with it. He literally said before the pregame against Cleveland that Paul Watson's rotation spot was safe. And by the fourth quarter, it was Stanley Johnson and Pat McCaw. So, like, I, I just mm-hmm. think there has to be some decision making there of just reckoning with the fact that this roster is severely flawed and just spend the rest of the season focusing on is it more important to play Paul Watson 30 minutes a night or spreading those 30 minutes between Pat McCaw, Utah Watanabe, DeAndre Bembry, and Paul Watson. Yeah, no, that's really well said. Oh, by the way, I, I can't believe we, you and I have done so much content together, like, and I mean so much of it, uh, that we haven't gone through the whole roster and, and given them all um, poker hands. I feel like that's a great way to evaluate players. Like, oh, what is man. Matt? What is Matt Thomas at the moment? I felt like Matt Thomas. So last I, 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 like, I so the way and, I tweet about Matt Thomas is like he's a pair of pocket kings. <laughs> yeah, but but in reality, I think Matt Thomas right now is like a six eight offsuit. Yeah, yeah, you're just like praying. Like if you see a seven on the flop, like you're like, okay, all right, maybe I'll check. Like maybe I'll like call like a minimum raise, but like basically, basically every bench guy is drawing dead after the flop. Yeah, actually though, it's it's tough, man. Terrence Davis is like yeah. two three. Um, it's tough, man. Yeah, no, this oh, is man. it's unbelievable when you look at the bench. Like it's just like, and I really just like again, I'm not really trying to like make a commentary specifically on any of these guys in terms of how hard they work, anything like that, or like their commitment to winning and all these things. It's just, if you compare the talent on the Raptors bench, um, eight through 18, um, and just compare that to like other teams. It's, it's really, really shocking where the Raptors are, um, which by the no, way, they haven't, they haven't hit on one of those guys. Yeah, which the guy they might have hit on the most was Alex Len, who's uh, unfortunately not with the Raptors anymore. Alex Len giving you seven points per game on sixty-five percent shooting. Um, what, what are you? I honestly about? think. I honestly Alex? think, and, and this is like no, 
this is pure um, just a theory, but I think when they waived Len early in the season, Nick just went to Masai and Bobby and was like, listen, you can give me one bad center, but I'm not dealing with two. So cut one of them. And they couldn't cut Baines because of the contract that they gave him. Yeah, look, I'll just say this. I don't think that's I, was... that, I don't think that's that far fetched because if you're just lining the two of them up, I feel like it's just a toss up of who you keep. And you probably lean Len. Alex Len had twenty points uh on against the against the Nets recently. And Alex Len won the Raptors a game against the Knicks and is probably gonna be the reason that, that cost them like the draft lottery because of the one extra win. <laughs> Do you do you want to guess? Do you want to guess what Aaron Baines' season high is in terms of? Scoring? I'm gonna say six. No, that's not six, bro. Come on. <laughs> Although six might be like the uh, the mode. <laughs> wow, I didn't know we were back in. No, <laughs> back in yeah, the, high school math. Um, no, his season high is 13 for Aaron Baines. Those actually his second game. I'm gonna a need a fact check. I'm gonna need it. I'm gonna need you to send me a screenshot of a box score. Come on, man. He had come on, bro. He had 13 three times. He had it against Detroit. Remember that was when I was tweeting out Aaron Baines and Kyle Lowry pick and roll, and I tweeted out a picture of John Stockton and Carl Malone losing to the Pistons twice. Like, oh man. Anyways, bro, it's it's bad. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is Alex Len has had multiple games with 13 points or more listen listen neither of them neither of them are a long-term solution I, like you know, I know. They, they obviously had to do like a stopgap thing this offseason but it's just time to move on from both of them yeah you're right yeah it's all of them really <laughs> like all of them like i'd really love to see like a fresh crop if you had to keep some obviously we have the rest of the season to determine like on some of these guys decisions but let me just get your quick thoughts yes or no on whether or not you want to keep them next season right so we'll start with Bembry. No, no. Okay, all right. I, I'd kind of keep Bembry, but you know, I, I can see. It. I'm going to be saying no to a lot because I'm kind of knowing the Raptors' cap room situation and knowing that they're going to be able to add guys. Um, I, I would let a lot of these guys go, but hit me. Terrence Davis. Nope. Stanley Johnson. Nope. Utah Watanabe. Nope. <laughs> Come on, bro. <laughs> You just did a panel with the man. <laughs> that was different. This is this is about basketball. <laughs> yeah, go watch that Utah panel, please. Okay. Yeah. Um, especially if you understand who, Japanese. Um, who else? Paul Watson. Yes. Okay. Matt Thomas. No. Oh come on, no, Alex. That bro, ship he's... has sailed. You know that ship has sailed. Is it even exciting when Matt Thomas checks in anymore and shoots threes? Like I'm not no. gonna lie to anybody. I, you know, yeah, no, it's, it, it is what it is. We, we had some time. Honestly, he had a pretty memorable two years. I, I, I still see some possibility for Matt, but, you know, but, but that's, but that's like, that's you again trying to talk yourself into these guys. I feel like we got to set the bar higher. Pat McCaw? Nope. Jalen Harris? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why? Based on no evidence, because he said we the North, and the season has gone downhill since he said we the North. Okay, but so what Matt Thomas said, everything's going to be Irie or whatever he said, uh, that, that wasn't enough for you? Come Fine, on, no to Jalen Harris as well, no. All right, damn. Yeah, no, this is why yeah. we need to we, we need to turn Colin Norman to like seven players. But that's what I'm saying, like, they really need to just have, I think, a whole new roster yeah. next season. And I don't think it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but... I mean, this is what this is what like 
the non the teams that don't get the meetings with like LeBron James and Kevin Durant have to do. Mm-hmm. Like you have to nail these free agency signings. Like the Raptors just have to nail those signings this summer. They just do. Yeah. And I think it's like if you look at the Nets, for example, right? Like obviously that's a it was a premium destination and things like that. But what the Nets were able to do was obviously they were in the in, in the trenches, but they were able to bring in guys and develop them. Kind of like what the Raptors have done in the past, too. It's not like the Raptors haven't done it. It's just they haven't done it this season, specifically, outside of maybe Chris Boucher. Um, you know, like, but they brought in a guy like uh, Joe Harris, who, you know, when he played in Cleveland, it was like, who cares? It's Joe Harris. But now it's like, okay, now he's $72 million and he shoots 50% from threes, right? Uh, they brought in a Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, from Detroit. And it was like, you know, okay, this is like Detroit's third guard. But then he becomes a guy who... You know, he's, he's hurt right now, but he's a pretty decent player. Um, and, you know, you bring in, you know, you use a draft pick on a Jared Allen. You develop these guys. Um, and you get to the point where you have enough trade assets to kind of make some moves, right? Like, they ultimately had enough trade pieces to trade for James Harden. Like, they had Karis LeVert. These guys are like, they're able to come in and develop. And that's where kind of the Raptors kind of need to kind of get back to is um, that 2018 model. If you have starters, veterans who can really produce night after night give you structure and then you have talent on the bench that can come in and take over for the group and uh hopefully this is kind of the first step towards that but i do think that if you step out and look at the bigger thing i do feel like maybe for the first time in a while the raptors plan isn't as clear to people do you know what i mean like i don't know if oh yeah yeah no i, I think they're in a weird spot plan i think yeah. they're in a weird spot just because um i think you know, they've been planning even post Kawhi of making a run at Giannis. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we like, it's so easy to just point to that. But I mean, that informed every single one of their offseason decisions last summer, um, like after the bubble. Like that's why Serge Ibaka is not on this team. Yeah. And, you know, a part of the reason why, you know, Mark is not on this team. They made those calls and and I know like even we've criticized and everyone's criticized that the Raptors not bringing back Serge and, and maybe disrespecting him with the offer, but nobody would be crying if that was the difference between getting Giannis or not, right? Mm-hmm. But Giannis comes, you know, goes back to Milwaukee and now suddenly the Raptors don't have that one guy who they can kind of say, we're going to plug him in and suddenly Pascal looks great again as the number two and suddenly Fred is in a perfect spot as the number three guy and, and think about the front court of OG Pascal and Giannis on defense. Uh, we got to stop talking about this. Oh, um, Come on, bro. Yeah. But I mean, if for people that are like calling for tanking and calling for all of that, like, I mean, if you want to tank, if the Raptors want to go in that direction, then they're going to make, then they need to make Fred OG and Pascal available this summer. <laughs> Cause otherwise you're going to have to try to build around them and see what you have. So I don't yeah. know if that's a decision that the Raptors need to make, but if you're really tearing it down, and I don't feel like they will unless a completely new management team comes in, and obviously that's not happening because Bobby is, has an extension. So I think you're just going to have to go out and like, I'm looking at the free agency list, and if some of these guys are like restricted. I'm talking about like getting a guy like Rashawn Holmes that I know a lot of people have talked about, like Josh Hart, who I know is having a decent season in New Orleans. Like I know these aren't like attractive, like, sexy guys that like people will banter about in trade rumors but i'm talking about getting those level of guys in and just having a core group and then figuring and then you mentioned whatever assets they get this week like think about if they get like say i'm just using josh harden like rashawn holmes as examples like those two you get precious achua you get tyler hero 
you get another prospect from Norm, from the Norm trade. You have your own lottery pick. Maybe you have another pick. That's like seven guys right there. Yeah. And I think that's that's the strategy you kind of have to go for. Um, and of course, we, we know that the Raptors history in free agency is, is kind of low, but you know, like I, I do feel like there has to be some level of confidence that you can bring in some of these guys that you mentioned. Um, but you know, the other question is, do you have enough star talent to really build around? Right. Because that's the thing with Pascal is like, he, he kind of needs to be the number one. Otherwise you just have a bunch of number twos and uh, a deeper bench than what they have this year, which is fine. You can get places like that. Like I think, you know, Kyle and DeMar, the whole era was kind of like two number twos and guys kind of um, filling in around that. Um, and they won a lot of games, but, you know, to get to the next level, it's whatever. But I don't really mind that, to be honest. I don't think you necessarily need to, like, go for broken, like, specifically get star pieces and then kind of move from there. I think you can kind of build from the middle, which is to get a lot of attractive players, young players, and then in the later years be able to flip them in, in trade packages and get ultimately a Kawhi Leonard when you need to, when you have all those assets in play. So, um, yeah, but I do think that this is like one of the first years where the Raptors are like completely like, I don't think they could have planned for any of this, man. They they just didn't plan for the season to kind of go the way it did. Um, I think obviously the circumstances sort of played into it. I mean, even like midway through, again, like literally the last time you and I were on the pod together, like they were looking great and we were talking about maybe getting the center and just like making a playoff run and all these East teams look weak and stuff. You know, nowadays we're talking about like trading all these guys. So it's a, it's a different decision, but you know, I think it's, it's something that I think fans will kind of have to come to grips with. And I was thinking a lot about this because, you know, uh, in anticipation of if Kyle gets moved, which it seems likely at this point, um, you know, kind of building like a piece that would somehow say goodbye to the most important player in franchise history. And at that part was like really difficult for me to do. Like I literally found myself like sad at the thought of Kyle, not necessarily being a Raptor anymore. I understand the reasons why, like my brain understands it, but like in terms of the heart, which is, you know, a large portion of what sports fandom is like, the heart is going to have a very hard time accepting. And I think one thing you kind of look for when you, when you see these, you know, um, splits in in the road, the forks in the road is like you kind of look back on like the journey that that took you to that spot, and the journey with Kyle is like so long, it's so memorable. It's there's so many points, and same thing with Norm too. Which, which by the way, I mean, I hate that they kind of are maybe going out the door together because I think you might get less attention to Norm, which I think Norm has been one of the most overlooked Raptors in franchise history. If we're going to be completely honest about it. That doesn't necessarily mean he can't go, but uh, he just is underlooked most of the time. And yeah, I mean, like emotionally, like how how are how are how are fans supposed to prepare for Kyle leaving? Like, or, or, I mean, we understand why he would leave and things like that. We understand why normal go, but how do you, how do you fans like I think emotionally process it? Yeah, I think I'll I'll just do a quick note on Norm too. Like like you mentioned, you know, I think any. Honestly, like any player from from that 2019 championship team will forever just be like worshipped and celebrated in the city just just for the role that they played in that. And I would add guys like DeMar and JV to that because they played such a huge role in building the franchise back up. And with Norm, yo, this guy saved Dwayne Casey's job when he came in and beat the Pacers in yep. game five. Mm-hmm. Like... Dwayne Casey was getting fired and they probably were going to break up that DeMar Kyle combination if they lost to the Pacers. So, and obviously Norm's had 
other huge playoff moments as well that everybody knows about. So shouts to Norm. I think with respect to Kyle, you know, I wrote about this a few weeks ago and I was thinking about it too. When when Kyle said that I'm going to retire uh, as a Raptor no matter what, which I guess should have been like the alarm for I guess he's leaving. No, the alarm uh, was he sold his house. Yeah, why do Mark we keep Sabal, ignoring when, when people sell their house? When it's a Mark big Sabal fucking reported, move to sell yeah. your house. I don't have no, a house, but it'd be huge if I had sold my house, man. Of course, I'd probably of course, leave if I sold a house. But also anyway. the same fan base, and and I'll put us in there too that ignored the fact that. Um, uh, Kawhi went to Home Depot to get a bunch of boxes three days after the finals. Um, that was the first time. That was the first time. We could, you know, you get one chance. You, like George Bush says, "You fool me, you can't fool me again." Goodness, this man quoting Bush. Come on, man. Um, so, start with respect. With respect to Kyle, I think the way I choose to look at it is that I always think back to the very beginning of eight years ago in 2013 after the Rudy Gay trade, and we all know that Kyle was very close to getting traded to the Knicks. And he's literally said, I I think this was on open gym. He had his bags packed at his house. Like the deal was done. Like he was just getting ready to get, to get the official call and the heads up from the Raptors to, to go to the airport. And obviously that didn't happen. So he went from like this footnote for this Raptors franchise. Like this man would have been next to like Chauncey Billups and like Kenny Anderson and like Mark Jackson. All right. Like that's where Kyle Lowry would have been if he got traded in 2013. And instead he goes on to being the greatest Raptor of all time. And I think Raptors fans need to look at it as no other star has come onto this team and this franchise and had a more complete career here. Cause if you look at Vince Carter, Vince Carter's Raptors career will forever be a what if, right? Yeah. Like what if he yeah. stayed? What if him and T Max stayed? Would they mm-hmm. have won a championship? Would they have made the finals? I think Chris Bosch to a certain extent too. I know the fan base isn't kind of that warmly welcoming of him, but you look at Chris Bosch, he was the face of the franchise, but he'll forever be remembered for the championships in Miami. And you look at Kawhi as well, right? Like this man didn't even give us a summer to think about a dynasty. Like he didn't even give us three weeks. <laughs> like Kawhi was great, but he yeah. left. Like yeah, he, he left, left right? Him. Like he he brought us to the highest of highs. And he left and we'll forever be thankful for that as a fan base. But that connection isn't there. But with Kyle, he did everything here. He did everything. He won. He lost. He fought with coaches. You know, he fought with Masai. You know, he he brought all these different iterations of teams. And I don't know if you were the one who mentioned it. I think it was you. Is that every single like great Raptor moment in the last eight years, every single great comeback, Kyle has been at the very center of it. Yep, yep. You know? Like, like you were talking about that. Like, other guys have been benched in the playoffs before, all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. Kyle has been at the center of everything. And the way I, I choose to look at the 2019 championship is, like, Kawhi, obviously. You don't win the championship without Kawhi. But I look at the 2019 championship as, like, that cemented Kyle's career. And that mm-hmm. cemented Kyle's Raptor career because of everything that he did. And I think fans should just take that and look at, like, the eight years, the eight-plus years that he was here and say that he had a complete career here. And if he goes somewhere else... You know, it's not because he had a falling out with the team and it's not because, you know, either side is sick of each other. It's because it's just a natural point to move on. And, you know, I think and who knows, man, honestly, the Raptors are so weird and Masai is so strange. You could be here. <laughs> Yo, you could be, be doing so, the pod. It'd be so weird if Kyle's still here next week. And we're no, just but like, I'm uh... saying, you could be doing a. I don't know how the extension stuff works, because I know they could probably do it like, you know, like just a wink, wink. But like they could agree that like, yeah, you know. Kyle's going to stay and we've agreed to this two-year, $45 million extension that we're going to sign this summer. Because, like, listen, let's set aside all the talk for the trades. I get that. But in the scenario that Kyle returns, like, that's fine for this team. Like, he'll still be a great piece for this team. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something you can't rule out. And I know that obviously we're we're, we're like skipping ahead a little bit in a way. I'm not trying to like Listen, look, when Woj is Kyle, when Woj is when Woj is doing a whole like report on Kyle and Norm, like you know yeah. it's getting serious. No, I know. I, I think Norm for sure. I would say Norm is like 80%, 90%. Yep. Just a feeling and Kyle is obviously uh I don't know, man. Maybe we're just like having hard. It's, it's a hard time to like think back specifically on Kyle, but um, and I, I really just do think that like when when people go and stuff like that, you kind of think back to when they first came and like, I mean, it's crazy, man. That was like what 20, 2012 He came right, like that. Like think of how many things have changed since twenty twelve. You know, like think about like where you were as a person, uh, not even just you, Alex. I mean, just like the listener, like you were in twenty twelve. Like we're probably, I for me, I was like in university and shit like that, and like, you know, yeah, uh, it's life is like, totally different, you know. Alex, he's you covered were, you were, like you were turning thirty, and you know, <laughs> the Kyle Lowry era has like spanned like a lot of people, and I think just a lot of people's like overall like Raptors fandom as well too, right? Yeah, because I know yeah. this era obviously brought in a, a lot of fans, um, you know, who were able to watch. And uh, repeating once again something that you know you're gonna see on Run It Back tomorrow, but like <laughs> the. Eric Kareem mentioned in his, in, you know, in one of the articles that he wrote, that was really eye opening to me that I hadn't thought about. The Raptors didn't win their first seven game series in franchise history uh, until five years ago. Like that was only five years ago that they finally won a best of seven series. So to to think about like how high we've come um, and the heights that we've reached, like to be honest, like we're coming down from this like two year high, and it's really hard. Listen, I come down. Oh, no, I'm not gonna get into my personal highs, but. You know, like to come down from a two-year high is just really difficult. Like you think about the championship yeah, and you think about the amazing regular season that got stopped by COVID. And then mm-hmm. when it restarted, the Raptors were amazing in the bubble um, to start. Um, you know, remember that win against the Lakers? I was so sure after they beat the Lakers in that opening real game that that was going to be the finals matchup. Like yeah. I was so sure. Um, and, you know, they sweep Brooklyn, you know, obviously not a real Brooklyn team. And then they run into, you know, this, that very hard to watch series against the Celtics. But like, that's a two year high, you know, starting in like 2018 mm-hmm. um, when the Raptors acquired Kawhi, that we went through this whole roller coaster and coming down from it is really hard. And I think a lot of people are, are you know, including ourselves are, are trying to deal with that. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, like no one's life is going to be like this one long high. Like you really do need like some time in between like a humbling process, some time at the bottom to get perspective, to like look up at the top. Cause I think you, maybe it's hard for you if you're, if you're just born atop the CN tower or whatever, like you just like, you just get regular. Like that's the, the, the site that you have on the world and the, the lens yep. you have on the world is just what it is. And it may not look spectacular to you, but you know, if you, were born at the bottom and you climb to the very top and you could see it like it feels so much better you get you you know there's just a difference and i think that you know that's why when you heard you know the the 2019 you know obviously um when they won the eastern conference finals when you know ernie johnson was interviewing kyle larry like the reason why the raptors broke into an organic chant for Kyle Lowry. They chanted Lowry. They didn't chant Kawhi. They didn't chant, you know, Pascal. They didn't chant Fred, all these other guys. They chanted Lowry. And there's a reason for that. Like, there's an absolute reason for that. It's because, you know, when you root for sports, obviously you know that just like with sports, just like in in life as well, like you can't have someone go with you the whole way. 
right? A person can only go so far with you in life. And especially in sports, that is even shorter because obviously the life of an athlete is, you know, restricted to like 20 years, unless you're LeBron. Um, but in any case, like people are going to have to move on eventually. But the people that have gone with you for that journey, the the, the journey that Kyle has took, taken the team on, taken every single person in, in, in the franchise in terms of uh, fans, players, teammates, uh, coaches, you know, people in the organization, like, you have to be grateful for that and and sometimes it just it, it's it's just over at some point and it's hard to 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 leave but again like i think this might be one of the first times where you do have a, a player leave where it not necessarily on good circumstances it's always hard to say goodbye but like in a in a way that um is productive like i think Kawhi leaving didn't the specific act of Kawhi leaving didn't feel productive to me? Like the the specific listen, uh, it, like, like Chris, Chris the Kawhi leaving thing will me, always you know? the Kawhi leaving thing will always bother me, just because it just messed up like the bro. He left the, a title. I can't leaders. believe it, man. Uh, no, 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 no. I know we've talked about. I know we talk about this every time. Like we always try to have forty five <sighs> yeah. minutes of real conversation about basketball, and then we just descend into this because it's the only thing that matters. This man left. A championship team that was bringing their entire core group back, entire core group back, more improved. Like, look at how many guys came back improved last year. The Raptors mm, would have yeah. gone sixty-eight. They would have won sixty-eight games last year. They would have gone sixteen that. and three in the playoffs. They would no, have won sixteen like, those games are facts. in the playoffs. That's what I know. Yeah, they would have gone sixteen and three. They would have beaten the Lakers in six games. It would have been amazing, even though there was a pandemic going on. And we're talking about three peats right now. We're comparing Pascal to Scottie Pippen. You know, we're talking Kawhi versus MJ. But instead, I'm here looking up this hoopshype.com list of Josh Hart and Rashawn Holmes as 2021 free agents. And I'm advocating for Taylor Horton Tucker on the Lakers, who's on my fantasy team. Let's go get that guy. No, but like, I think you make a really good point too, is that this is just the cycle of following a team. Right, it's a cycle like, of like, life. All right, just say it. Just say a, it. No, just, no, just it's a cycle like of life. Man. It's a cycle of life, and it's like unless you're the Spurs, or I can't even think of any other team because the Lakers have gone through bad stretches. A lot of these teams are like you're not gonna have this level of just sustainability at the top. Like you're just yeah. not, and I think it's okay. It's okay, and that's why like the championship means so much too. And it's weird yeah. because I know the Raptors franchise has been here for like twenty five plus years now, but this is really the first time they're saying goodbye. I feel like to a guy who like spent all of his formative years in Toronto. Yeah. Like you can't say that about any of the other guys that were here. Like even Demar. Is, like I think Demar's the DeMar. closest, but he also got traded right before they reached the mountaintop. Yeah, exactly. Like we got to Demar's story was not like finished. Like, um trying to think of like what the Mars story was would be you know like when you like watch movies and people go through stuff but then like someone just like dies before the ultimate like quest is completed yeah demar no demar was the sacrifice yeah like he was sacrificed for the championship and i always which, tell which people you understand like, but he didn't get yeah. that that final like the most satisfying part he wasn't there for the way Kyle yep. was and, and Kyle was there instrumentally for it. And, and so was Norm, honestly, uh, not obviously the same way, but like, I don't think the, I don't think the Raptors get past the bucks in the conference finals without Norm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I think it's good to just attribute, like, you know, you got to give value to like all of these guys. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why, like you mentioned, like, I, I do think 
kind of sucks in a way that they're both possibly going out at the same time because all the attention is going to go to Kyle. But there will be time to remember both of them and to remember all the guys from the championship team. It's just hard, man. I got to pull up that scarf photo from last year and start Xing people out. (laughs) Bro, I saw some people repurpose the Serge Ibaka scarf photo with Cade Cunningham's face on it and the losing (laughs) Yeah, I'm not talking about that stuff. Yeah, oh, this man. is real dark, man. I mean, you got you got to oh, be a real sickle to do that. I just that's what I'm going to say to you. It's just, you got to be real nasty to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for now, like this is kind of just what it is. And um, yeah, really, the only thing I want to talk about, you know, last is is not the divorce thing. But really, we got to end on a positive <laughs> note. Alex, I need your live reaction thoughts to Chris Boucher's Mary Brown Mary Brown's ad with. Uh, Matt Devlin that we saw unveiled for the first time during a 20 during well I like to think the Raptors inherited the 20 game losing streak I feel like when you lose uh 20 <laughs> I feel like you when you break that streak that should be added so the Raptors are actually on a 29 game losing streak uh <sighs> but anyway give me your thoughts on uh Matt Devlin and Chris Boucher's acting here listen first of all were they in the same place because I I feel like I need to study the the camera angles because I feel like that was definitely shot in two different locations and they just cut it to to look like that. Um, uh, number two, you know, I love the I love the fact that they uh, you know drew on uh, Boucher on the Chevron jersey. Um, that's a great look. Oh I think they should God. do. I think they should do a Lowry one and actually sell it. I think it would actually sell pretty well. Um, just like a customized jersey. You, you, you uh, can already get. You can, by the way, you can get that <laughs> Lowry that? jersey already at uh, Pacific Mall at the moment, man. It's only five dollars. Yeah, yeah. When it's open, um, but like, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Just you know, you know, to all these different places, Sony who did the OG Ananobi PlayStation commercial. Um, Osmos, shout outs Osmos who did the Norm oh, and, and Fred commercials and, and Mary Brown's here yo, if you're listening, hit me up hit me up, alright? Let, let me script something let me script something that, that the Raptors fan base can actually connect with and then and, and in this case, it would have been Chris Boucher dunking on your ass like, you know, if, if I'm oh my if, if, I, if I'm sitting in a pitch meeting right now oh. it is you holding a chicken sandwich under the basket and oh. Boucher just coming and snatching it from you after he dunks on you. Yo. Like he jumps over you and dunks okay. on you. Yeah. Even better. And that's it. Even better. I yeah. am, this is 2016 again, right? I am yeah. on a, a hoverboard rotating like uh, the magic mascot. And I'm holding a plate with all of the Mary Brown's chicken items of the dollar value <laughs> menus, right? Which, by the way, if. <laughs> Didn't look that good, but whatever, okay? I'm holding the Mary Browns. Chris Boucher does the dunk that Aaron uh, that Aaron Gordon does. And at the very end, he just he tells me, you know. I mean, you know what? The, the part that bothered me about this ad is that what Devlin says to Boucher in this ad is essentially what I tweeted at him. And, you know, that's just unfortunate, man. I, that's no, what I they... said. Get this man a snack stat. Like, that's what I said. And that, that's yeah. all I said. No, <laughs> and he thought listen. I was you. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, that, that we don't need to get into that, but like, um, but yeah, no, I, I think Chris, like all the other NBA players had just gotten to the bubble and uh, honestly, they were just dealing with a lot of stuff and they just, sometimes guys just don't want to hear that criticism. Like, like you think about, no, nah, it, it was, it, it was, it was snarky. Absolutely. It was snarky. 
I don't care. Like, like, it's totally right for him to like fire back. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's funny. That's all. Like it literally. Yeah, is no, it's no, for sure. Like, like, like we're snarky all the time, and like some of us do have relationships with some of the players. Some of us don't, and that that makes a difference too. Mm-hmm, and like, yeah. just I always say, like, think about how frustrated we get just like watching the games, and think about how infinitely like more frustrated they must be having to play in this season, right? Like yeah. can, if we're just sitting at home watching these games and we're getting so frustrated, like I can't even think of that. But yeah, man, we need better commercials. Like I would have had OG, um, you know, obviously assuming a, a post-COVID world, um, pose as like a future shop. Oh no, future shop is very dating myself. <laughs> What's the electronic store Bro, of what? choice now? <laughs> Yo, this man, this man's about to tell me about Baylor Radio, man. What's wrong? With what's you? <laughs> uh, what's the electronic like Best Buy? I I would have had OG pose as a Best Buy employee. And try to sell the PlayStation game to people walking in. That sounds pretty good, honestly. As a listen, prank. As I'm saying, a... man, I'm a house of ideas, man. It'll cost you, but like, it'll also get you a lot of clout. Listen, for advertisers listening to this, which I know obviously there's many. Have you heard about <laughs> How Hungry Are You? Have you, yeah. have, you heard, have you seen that show? Do you, do you know, like, where Serge Ibaka has guests on his show to eat many moments and... were scripted by me all right the, watch the Kawhi leonard episode that was watch, watch the jeremy lynn watch the jeremy lynn episode um you know shout outs jordy um for the opportunity but shout yeah jordy, i think man. i miss jordy bro we're, we're, yeah that's, I miss jordy that's, too, that's what i missed about the arena the most is running into jordy and, and like you, and, and listen man I'm, I'm i'm not trying to i'm not trying to go on a whole tangent but like when, when you make these commercials you you just you want it to connect with the fan base Absolutely. and i'm just saying like I understand the pulse of the fan base. Yeah, like this, like this Axe commercial with uh, OG and Obi and Fred Avlit. Like I understand Axe has his own like weird commercial idea thing where they like try to make random things, but that doesn't doesn't hit at all. Like when OG tells no. me, like skateboards and roses, I don't understand. Like that, I don't understand. Like it. like I, let's get let's get like good. a let's get like a non corny like don't poke the bear or like never underestimate the heart of a champion reference in there. You know, like something, something that kind of shouts out to, to exactly like the the tone of the fan base anyways that that's that's my personal yeah. pitch who do you think is gonna replace norm in the uh in the osmos commercial see oh, clearly boucher man. has been affiliated with another food brand uh, so it, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be Taylor horton tucker yeah no he's already i've already dubbed him tim horn tim horns man, <laughs> oh, come I, on, man. I don't i don't want tim horns on my team i'm good tim horns is already retired gonna... in the rafters <laughs> It's we see that we either. see that face every single time we go to the Scotiabank. <laughs> All we see is Tim Horton with the. Uh, I don't it's, know. It's going to be either Josh Hart of the Colin Show or Josh Hart free agency signing. Yeah. yeah, this is tough, man. It's it's going to be Tyler Hero eating a hero. See, there you go. There, free idea. All right, <laughs> perfect. He's the next Osmos. <laughs> oh, this is tough. Oh Lord. Yeah, listen, guys. Uh, you know things come to an end or things reach a point and kind of the party's over and you're kind of building towards the next thing. And, you know, it's not a terrible situation to be in. The Raptors have all their first round picks moving forward. They have what's going to be a pretty good first round pick already. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm just like, I hate doing this, but you know, I, we are at this point. So I do have to tell people that the Raptors have the seventh best odds in the lottery this year. Uh, the Raptors have a 32% chance of landing in the top four if they manage to get ahead, which to me really means below Cleveland, which they're only one game above Cleveland. Oh, my God. The Raptors are below the Kings right now. Uh, but if they manage to get uh, below Cleveland and or ahead of Cleveland or even ahead of Washington, then they can get to 42% chance at a top four 
pick and close to something like 10% overall at the number one pick, which, you know, like uh, this is, this is what people are going to listen in for. So it's going to be tough. Alex, I, I expect you to be watching plenty of Cade Cunningham tape so you can let us know who he is. No, I'm, I'm more of an Evan Mobley guy. Trust me. I got my talking you? points ready, man. No, are I don't you? know any of these guys. These guys could be your sons, guys. honestly, at this point. Like, <laughs> yo, we don't need to get into that. Listen, I know people. <laughs> I know people really appreciate the uh, the non basketball stuff last time, so I'm going to steer you into another 15 minutes. Uh, basketball talk is over, everyone. So yeah, yeah, it's over. Shut that off. Uh, I don't think we did an official review of Minari the movie, so I just wanted to get your thoughts mm. on that. Um. So, first off, I mean. I don't know. I, I think every time I watch like these like stories of like immigration, um, especially stories that are like similar to mine in a way. I mean, like my parents didn't like come to America to work on a farm. My parents left China. Uh, my dad was a farmer as a kid, <laughs> um, so it's maybe the opposite story. But um, no, every single time I watch these like I- immigrant stories, I think it just tugs so closely at the heart because I think I. Th- for a lot of people and especially for a lot of immigrants like there is a there's always a desire to um sort of understand and attach yourself to your culture and the way you largely do that when you're in a foreign country is through your parents experiences and i think i always get so emotional watching these these movies that are so deeply about the immigrant experience and sort of the, the struggles that they face and i think that this movie in particular like it doesn't really it's not just an immigrant story, which I think it's totally fine to just be an immigrant story. I don't mean that. I mean, like it goes beyond that um, trope in a way and it expands it. It's a deeply American story. Um, You know, it's, that's really what America is is purportedly about is like trying to make it in a place. And, um, and you see this man, uh, Paul, who is um, acted by uh, Steven Yeun, like he's, First off, he he does a really really he, his performance is really good, but um, you really resonate with the character like that because I see a lot of that family dynamic um, in my own family in, in in my own life now. Like I, I start to see a lot of myself in Paul, which is a little concerning. But as a man who you know in a family structure feels this overwhelming desire to provide and to care for other people, and in the process loses uh, a, a lot, right? And he loses sight of what's important and loses part of his humanity in that way. And yeah, this movie has so many themes that that really resonated so strongly with me. And it's beautiful. And it has all these like light, sweet um, moments involving the grandma, involving the kids that are just so funny. So um, I love the movie, man. What did you think of the movie? Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of what you said, you know, I think it's great. You know, I think about like a film like Minari and obviously like Parasite, which I know got a lot of buzz too. And I love that now when there are these, you know, Asian directors obviously telling um, these stories to to a mainstream audience um, like they don't have to like explain these stories to people like they're just allowed to just tell the story and it's kind of up to um, the viewers to to kind of understand the cultural differences and like you said like like the differences in, in being kind of an immigrant trying to chase this American dream and, and you know, I love Minari too because you know I read about after that you know the director Lee Isaac Chung you know this story was actually based pretty loosely like semi-autobiographical mm. on his own upbringing like like his his family actually were South Korean immigrants who tried to make it in rural America so um, you know for, for me like like you mentioned like I think the acting was great and I love that everyone from like, you know, the grandmother, the wife to the kid to obviously Steven Yeun, 
who's who's been nominated for the Oscars. Like, I feel like we gotta start giving more props to 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 a lot of these actors. Like, a lot of times we're not familiar with them because they have their own um, careers, um, you know, in in kind of foreign countries. But they should be getting the same credit for the acting as all these American actors do. And I feel like that's starting to change a little bit. So. Yeah, for for me, I think the immigrant stuff really touched home. You know, obviously this was there was a lot of Korean culture stuff in there that was sprinkled mm-hmm. in. You know that you know as a Chinese person, it's not something that I directly relate to, but I think just the overall story and the way it was told is is great. And I love that there's just such a different mix of these films out now that it doesn't feel like we're just always telling the same story. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's the thing that I really appreciate about this film is that it's not just an immigration story. Like, I really can't stress that enough. Like, I think you could see a lot of parts of, um, like a lot of common universal themes. I think sometimes, like especially now, like where, um, at least for me personally, I feel such a rush to like, um, not even reclaim because I don't think it ever left me, but to to run towards a lot of things, um, you know, in terms of my identity, in terms of my heritage and ethnicity and learn about the dynamics there, learn about the history and things like that. Um, learn about the current things that are being repeated in this current moment. Um, but at the same time, like, I think we kind of sometimes maybe lose a bit of the sense of what are common universal human themes. Um, and I do think that this movie reminds you of that in, in a, in a, in a way that, you know, obviously you can't ignore like where you're coming from and you can't ignore your um your background your ethnicity and you know things like that and those things stay with you even if you choose not to discard them but at the same time um you know you are you are also a human and like you you experience things on a human level that i think again the movie just does a really good job of and um yeah, are we gonna give three stars? What are we gonna, what are we doing, man? This is by the way, if you wanted to listen to uh, movie reviews by me and Alex, um, you know, largely with Asian movies, just Google, just Google Stephen LeBron Radio. I'm the only one plugging that still. Okay, so if anyone no, is no, newly listened no. to those episodes, it's good. We did Rush Hour one and two. Yeah, we, we did, did Better Hitch. Luck Tomorrow. We yep. did uh, Enter the Dragon. We did a lot. No, no, no three stars. Joy Luck Club's a star on this. No, but I, but I think it's cool. And I, and I think like, obviously you have um, a lot of um, Asian listeners and I know we talked about a little bit of this on run it back to like, obviously with everything that's happening right now in, in the Asian community, I think it's cool, not cool, but I think it's important to like, just, just, you know, have these conversations and like talk about our interests and things like that. Um, because sometimes I think too, at the most simple level, like I know there's all these serious matters about all the violence that's going on and all the hate crimes and the racism and all of that is important. But I also think it's important sometimes just for us to just talk about things that we're into that people aren't <laughs> like, I sit there and think about like, you know, listen, the, the podcast space is like predominantly white, right? Like it's predominantly white guys. And like, yeah. I listen to these, I listen to these podcasts and it's like, a lot of them just start off talking about stuff in their lives that are not interesting. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I feel like we should be allowed that space to do that too. Like, I know you love talking about basketball and Raptors, but like, sometimes we just got to talk about this. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think that's something <laughs> I love. Cra- really I love crashing that, but... your Raptors podcast and turning it into something else at the end. No, no, no. This is great. No, this is great. This is ideally what I would like to do is like 60% <laughs> Raptors and 40% other shit. But um, no, I think that's probably one of the struggles that like, with any sort of uh, group that is seen as outsider, right? And I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Asians are falling into that mix, of course. But like, 
when you are part of an outsider group, people tend to not necessarily know enough about you. I don't think maybe mainstream media does uh, an active job of trying to humanize people. And that's where people can really get into really dangerous situations where you start believing um, things about people rather than seeing them as people. And I think that's why like these kind of works of art, like are very important to humanize groups. I mean, of course is one, it's literally one person's story. As you mentioned, it's, it's the director's um, it's semi autobiographical about his father, but at the same time, like, you know, um, these stories and these experiences humanize people. And when you, when, when people are humanized, I think that that does cut towards a lot of the hate. I mean, listen, like, you know, that's part of the society, especially in American society where like, you know, there's such a gun culture that um, you're just, you're going to exacerbate a lot of hate because people are going to be able to take actions because they have the tools to do so. Um, And it's rampant, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I do think that once you humanize some people, I really do think that it, it, for at least for me, the way I choose to believe and the way I choose to sort of see the world, like I, I, um, I do think that if you can humanize people, like and you, by learning through their experiences, by learning through what they go through, um, by seeing their perspective, by seeing them as you know uh, fully as humans, not necessarily as stereotypes or things like that, um, it does cut into a lot of that. So. Yeah, no, no, I think I think that's a great yeah. point. And then, you know, I'm I'm 36, which damn, and, and you know, you're obviously uh, younger, but but I think still, like, all of us are, are still trying to figure out um, a lot of this stuff in terms of, you know, how to talk about it, um, you know, both kind of publicly and privately, but also just like, I think we're constantly just like as immigrants, like you mentioned, like, we come from this like outsider perspective we're constantly trying to figure out like what our place is, mm-hmm. you know, in the overall society. And, 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 you know, I always thought like, maybe this is something that you just kind of, you know, figure out when you grow up, but you know, I'm realizing now, like, it's just one of those things that will just carry with you. And it's something that, you know, all of us just need to be mindful of. And, and, you know, the, the great point that you made about the, you know, seeing other people as, as this fully formed, you know, human beings and not looking at just like, a group like Asians or people of color as like this, like monolith, like everybody has these different experiences, Asians span, like how many different countries and how many different languages. And I think all those things are, all those things are important. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this is another reminder to, to watch the, uh, the Raptors um, Asian diversity panel that was held uh, and hosted by Alex. Um, you know, it was a, Bobby Webster was on there. Yuta Watanabe was on there. Who was the coach that was on there? I forgot her name. Yeah, April Deus. Uh, so she's a community coach with the Raptors, and she's an okay. assistant with uh, the Ryerson team and Rovan Yao, who works in the Raptors right, right. Uh, media relations. Yeah, if anyone's still listening to this, you know, I think a couple it's of others. It's just the Asians um, at this point, which, by the way, yeah, I, I thank, you, thank you, all right? No, shouts to the Asian community. Um, yeah, but like, it, we're not always going to talk about Chinese buns rankings, unfortunately. <laughs> Although we did do a whole podcast on Chinese buns. So again, you, yeah. you can find it. But like, um, yeah, there's a couple of good Asian podcasts I recommend, I guess, to you and to people too. Like, I don't know if you listen to Time to Say Goodbye. It's a it's a podcast that Jay, Jay Caspian Kang hosts. I'm, I'm not um, going to lie. It, it gets a little yeah. deep sometimes. So I'm not it like, does. every it, single it, episode. It, it, gets it gets really real serious. granular, but uh, yeah, it gets yes, granular. It's a really like, good one for sure. I think it's a great resource um, of just learning uh, about 
a lot of issues that are happening in different um, Asian communities. And even if some of the stuff is maybe a little bit kind of, you know, over people's heads, you know, if you haven't researched some of these topics, I think it's a great starting point. And I found this other podcast called Diversity Hire. That's really good, too. It's just um, I apologize for not knowing the two host names, but it's the two hosts and they just bring on, um, you know, uh, Asians in media and, and interview them. So there's a lot of great interviews there um, in, in terms of getting to know um, the experiences. Uh, have have you made the clouds? Have you made the clout list yet or no? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm, wow. uh, All right. I'm, uh, I'm an underground favorite. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, hit me up, Mary Browns. No. Yo, hit money, Mary man. Browns, please. You could have done that better, to be honest, man. If you're already going to pay for man. Boucher and, uh, I'll charge and, and you half my rate, man, just, just to get a commercial with you. Yo, Come seriously, on, man. it's going to be tough getting Raptor commercials in the city once yeah. again. No, but there's, there's two months left in the season. Um, mm. Yeah, and I, actually, I don't know if I told you, but I'm I'm taking a bit of a break from like tweeting Raptors games because because I wow. think most people know I'm on the Yahoo Sports Canada account. But in April, listen, I'm not bailing on the team, but I got to finish my my manuscript, so I, I'm going to be wow. taking I, I believe two weeks off from uh, tweeting uncut gems memes on the Yahoo Sports Canada account. So uh, bro. No, it's just all schedule you, them in advance, man. Just schedule them in advance. <laughs> you can always write it. You know, like yo, just tweet the Raptors have cut it to eight in the second quarter. <laughs> Or like Aaron Baines, what are you doing? Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm sure I'll, I will be taking that over. Uh. <laughs> but I, but I know you'll hold it down. You know, in between playing yeah, Civilization course, and uh, referencing of mice and men. Yo, I had. By the way, I had to stop playing Civ, man. I've, I, I honestly, I played like eight hours straight, uh, and it, it was. Yeah, I, I've never been as absorbed into one video game as I have with Civ. And Is this I've a PC? This is like a PC game. So originally it was a PC game and it's now expanded to different consoles. The issue with that is with the PC game, you get tired eventually of like sitting in front of your laptop and like it drains you. And then you're just like, I'm physically tired. I'm going to close it. The problem is now Civ is on switch. So I'm like, it's handheld. So I'm just like lying in bed. I'm like, Oh, I'll play like, you know, a few turns. Like it's too easy. Like it's too easy for you to play it. Eight hours went by, man. Like I was like, it was 5 a.m. I got to sleep. It's trade deadline time. So, I really got to manage my time better. But yeah, no, I have to take a break from that game. But uh, mad, mad addicting game. Um, which, by the way, earlier we were talking about Asian podcasts. I, I you know, got to recommend one here in Toronto, uh, Made In, the Made In podcast, which Alex, oh, you yeah, made an yeah, appearance sure. on, man. Come on, bro. I thought you were for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, the Made In, Made In podcast is great. No, that's, um, I completely, um, I completely missed on that. You know, check check yeah. out Evie and Jasmine's podcast. You know, great conversations on there. They had, they had Utah, Utah on there. On. Yeah. yeah, they had Utah Watanabe on. So definitely check that out as well. Yeah, um, yeah you think Utah's a top Asian in, in in Canada at the moment? Or oh yeah, Civilization <laughs> is it's mad nerdy. I don't know what to say. Really, it is it's is it this is like really nerdy. Sim City where you just build cities? In a way, yes, but it's like you build civilizations through time. So like you start off. So obviously I picked China and like you start off in like the ancient age or whatever. Right. And like you have technologies available to you at the time. You got to build cities, collect food, research, culture, science. There's like a literally a million Whoa. things that like you literally, you need to like do like 10 hours of research before you play 10 hours of this game. Like, it's, And do you like, are there like characters that get fleshed out or is it just more a society? So there are kind of characters, but it's not like an RPG. Like you're not like specifically playing through the the life of like, Tall, tall, or whoever, right? But um, like you know, you you do 
take on some personalities there are like like each country will have like unique units um i don't know man. and do you There's get like to like travel to element. like other places yeah so it's like an open world map and then so other countries are building as well and then you can kind of ally with other countries you can like invade them you could uh oh shoot know. so there you, are, you, you can, can like, like start a war wars yeah you could you could start like two types of wars it's pretty wild and then it goes all the way until like past the current age into like the future age which i haven't even gotten to yet even after playing eight straight hours uh of one game um but yeah that honestly sounds i can see why that's so addicting yes and it's just like it just keeps going there's so many things to manage and you're like kind of like building like literally you're not kind of you're building a civilization through time and yeah it got mad addicting but uh yeah i had to i had to had to just swear it off yesterday i had to just play two rounds of fifa and, and call it a day Gotta be an adult, man. Come on. Can't be playing eight hours of sleep. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Yo, you'll have, you have plenty Damn. of time. It's not like my parents, honestly. <laughs> you'll have plenty of time after the No, I do have plenty of time. That's the real issue. Yo, honestly, it was after the Cavs game. I was so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I was so pissed. I was like, yeah, I don't care. I, I just gotta take my I was so sure they were gonna lose to the Rockets, and I don't know why. I should have really bet on that. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I think the Raptors yeah. were actually favored. They were favored by eight points against the, the Cavs, and I was like, there's no way they're beating the Cavs. Oh, I thought they were losing the Cavs for sure, and then I was pretty confident about the Rockets just because I know when the Raptors hit rock bottom, like, they, they do it dramatically, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was nothing Plus, more it was dramatic the second than night, losing to them. It was, a, it was the second night of a back-to-back, and they never win second night of back-to-backs, rarely now. Yeah, exactly. Yo, John Wall shot eight of 30, and we lost by 18 points. Yo. He shot eight of thirty and still had a triple double and the three sixty layup that made it on ESPN. This guy had a Ben Uzo triple double and we we got blown out. <laughs> and who is listen, man? No disrespect, but who is Jay Sean Tate? This man was killing us. Come on, bro. Jay Sean Tate is like the sexy blogger pick these days. He's a oh my god, nice man. pick. Listen, I would I would love for Jay Sean Tate to be on the Raptors. He's like if Stanley Johnson was like, Johnson was like good Stanley all the time. Listen, Maybe the Raptors just—the Raptors just honestly—they just need to replenish this roster. Just give give the fan base some like life. I agree with you. I agree with you. And listen, you just got to turn the page and you gotta write a new chapter. You still have some of your favorites still on the team. One of them is Pascal, who's beefing with Nurse. But uh, you know, you just you just got to build from here. The only, the only thing I'm really concerned about is like a prolonged period where they become irrelevant. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's a big it's a big off season, but I guess we'll save it for another podcast. Yeah. So. All right, Alex, thanks for coming on. Um anything you want to plug? Uh nothing, man. Just keep checking out Will's work and uh subscribe to the Yahoo Sports Canada uh Raptors newsletter. There you go. Yep. You're not going to plug and Stop making fun on, of bro. and stop Ooh. making fun of two-day old tuna on your DoorDash ads. That's what I eat. Alex, man. All right, let's wrap it up. <laughs> let me let me hook you up. All right, all right. Thanks everyone for listening. Appreciate it and uh yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk. I'm sure. Obviously, there'll be tons of trade deadline coverage. And by the way, we are uh, bringing back the live call-in show. We're gonna um, bring it out for Friday um, after the the day after the trade deadline on noon. We're gonna take listeners' calls. Me and Josh, we figured out the tech. Um, hopefully, everything goes smoothly, and uh, we're looking forward to people's reactions to everything. So, uh, Alex, appreciate you for taking two hours of your day to talk about this. <laughs> and uh, uh we'll, oh we we'll didn't even say before soon. before you wrap up we didn't even say we got jay skeets we got jay skeets on running back tomorrow so it's gonna be up tomorrow um uh thursday 
morning. You know, we did we did a NBA Top Shot draft of all time Raptors moments and some other fun stuff. So make sure you check that out. Look for that on the Yahoo Sports Canada YouTube channel. There you go. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today.